Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Welcome to Let's Get To, the baseball podcast from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. Thanks for joining Let's Get To, and I post this episode right outside Cool Ray Field, home of the Gwinnett Stripers, as I get ready to go in and take in a Stripers game at a fun 10.30 in the morning start time, which is going to be super cool, because I'm going to be able to check out a little bit of a Braves game and a little bit of the Chattanooga Lookouts. But, the episode today. We're going to be joined by the Fort Myers Miracle. We're going to be unveiling two new segments, the Big League Chew, which is going to focus on Major League Baseball, and a quick focus on Astros Baseball in a segment called Go Go Astros. And we've done so far my favorite from the bleachers to date, where my wife Jessica and her brother Nathan, both previous guests on this podcast, sit down and talk about their lives growing up and the time they spent watching baseball. But I am just excited. I'm excited because today... As I record this before leaving for Gwinnett, is a milestone episode. Because it's our 10th episode. Now, 10. 10 episodes. I'm feeling like Jeremy Piven in Gross Point Blank, you know? 10 years! 10 years! 10! This is our 10th episode, and statistics say... That if you make it 10 episodes, sponsorship dollars roll in, and all of a sudden you're rich. I just checked my bank account, and that's not true, but I'm still super excited about it being our 10th episode. And I just want to say really and honestly from the heart, to those of you who've listened to all 10 episodes, for those of you who this is your first one, and to those of you who have listened to an episode here and an episode there, thank you so much for sitting in and I hope you're enjoying the journey that we're taking you on that, you know, I think it's a little bit different than most podcasts out there. We're not trying to again be ESPN. It's not going to be about stats all the time or who I think people should trade for because I'm not the general manager of a major league baseball team, but it's a game a lot of people love and I really want to just dive into that. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for those of you that we've connected with. We've got a lot of great messages from people that we've met before, people that we haven't and you know, some great feedback, some great ideas for stories that we're going to follow up on. And so it's just been a really, really cool experience. And honestly, a lot cooler than maybe I even expected. So to those of you who are listening to the teams that have agreed to come on the show, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now we did get to get out to a ball game this week. Um, Actually, but a lot of baseball this week and a lot coming up too. But we went to see the uh, Round Rock Chupacabras. And I want to just say, first of all, it was a blast. It was our first Copa de la Diversión game. The, the folks at the Express really, really pulled out all the stops. You had Selena playing. Um, you had just great music throughout. The uniforms were sweet. My jer- my wife thinks I'm a jersey-buying guy. And I'm not necessarily always a jersey-buying guy. But I did buy one of these jerseys. Again, it was just awesome. But there was just an energy in the whole stadium. You know, and also too, you know, in Austin, it's been really rainy and really, really kind of crappy for the last few months. And so people were in, 
you know, we're bringing blankets and stretch out on the berm and just enjoying a little bit of sunshine and just really enjoying the day. But I do want to give props to the Round Rock Express staff, excuse me, the Chupacabra staff. From the social media team, you know, rebranding their Twitter as the Chupacabras for the day, their Instagram and their Twitter and but also to the stadium announcer, because not one time did he say Express instead of Chupacabras. Everything was the Round Rock Chupacabras. And all I got to kept thinking was, here's a guy that's going to call 60 or so games in Round Rock as the Express and maybe 10 is some other brand. And he never messed up. I'm a little ADD. I categorically would have messed up a bunch of times. So props to the stadium announcer for the Round Rock Chupacabras. Now, the Copa games are all about branding, 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 branding. And, you know, as we talked about on this show and we'll continue to talk about on this show, one of the popular one of the ways that minor league baseball is getting increasingly popular is by the fact that they're getting a little bit more bold with their branding. Fewer and fewer teams are simply copying the parent club's design and throwing their name on it and calling it a day. And I think this is such a smart move. If I roll up to a Staten Island Yankees game. I'm not going to buy a Yankees t-shirt because of I'm not a Yankees guy, but I would buy the Staten Island Pizza Rats. But as we were to continue doing on the show, we're going to be ranking our favorite brands in each affiliation. And so here are 10 favorite brands for our Class A short season affiliates. So we're going to start with the West Virginia Black Bears. That is the Pittsburgh Pirates Class A short season affiliate. And I love this branding. It's a classic look. Uh, it feels very baseball. It's got a very cool-looking Black Bear logo in there with the mountains of West Virginia. And instead of the sun coming up, it's a baseball. It harkens back to very like old-school baseball logos, and I like it. Sometimes sticking with something that feels more classic is absolutely the right way to go. Number nine on our list, the Black Bears are number 10. Number nine on our list is the State College Spikes. And I really like this design because when I was first kind of looking through them, I thought this was maybe an extension or a kind of a rebranding or a copying of the failed Omaha Golden Spikes from way back in the day. But actually, it refers to a deer. So they've got a super cool um, deer antler with like an S wrapped through the deer antler to form the S for for State College. One of the cool thing that the Spikes are doing, and just as an aside, and they are the Class A short season affiliate for the St. Louis Cardinals. But for their bark in the park, you can send in your dog's photo and that might be the dog they use on one of their jerseys. So that is super cool. And yes, I will be sending in all of the Colt Invader photos I can find. Now, number eight on our list is the Auburn Double Days. Now, they're named for Abner Doubleday, the mythical, because I think now we kind of know that it is not the guy who invented baseball. They are the Class A short season affiliate for the Washington Senators, and they've got a really cool design. It's basically the letter A built around an old timey baseball player look complete with really wickedly awesome handlebar mustache. Number six, the Mahoney Valley Scrappers. Look, here's the thing. I am a sucker for any kind of baseball logo that includes a dog and that's going to become a theme. And, and you know, that's, if, if, if that's what grabs me. That's what grabs me. The scrappers are the class A short season affiliate for the Cleveland Indians. And they've got this somehow really cute. And at the same time, badass junkyard dog look for, a, for a logo. Really, really dig it. 
Next up, we have the Hillsboro Hops. The Hops are the Class A short season affiliate for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And it's a simple design, but I just like buying into this one thing that we all love about baseball, and that is beer. And so they've got this cute looking green hop with a Hillsboro cap on. Simple but effective. Next up, we have the Hudson Valley Renegades. I actually had a filmmaker at my last film festival get me a Hudson Valley hat. Their mascot is a raccoon, and now we'll be joined by another raccoon mascot with the Rocket City Trash Pandas. But the the Tampa Bay affiliate has a super cute raccoon logo, and then one of the cool things they do is they'll sometimes do a black-on-black hat, so you kind of just make out the eyes. Very, very cool design. Simple, sleek, but... Again, and I I keep coming back to cute animals, but I think when you're talking about the branding and having a cool mascot, they kind of go part and parcel with each other. And so I think that that really does help work when it comes to selling these these brands. We're going to go to the Eugene Emeralds, and that's going to be number four on our list. They are the Chicago Cubs short season affiliate, and they've kind of gone with a sort of Bigfoot looking thing, kind of like Harry and the Hendersons, but cuter. And they've got a cute logo where it's it looks – their logo is basically like the footprint of this guy that forms the E. So it's definitely what I want to – I kind of want to get to check out. I think it would be a lot of fun to check those guys out in Eugene. Number three, the Boise Hawks. Now, this is one that I actually went ahead and ordered. They are the Class A short season affiliate for the Colorado Rockies. And they've got a couple of different designs. But the one I really like kind of borrows from the old Toronto Raptors look, which I don't know if it's still the Toronto Ra- – is NBA basketball still a thing? I don't, I don't know. It's baseball season, but it's a baseball with a green and gold claw kind of grabbing it. Really, really simple design again. And they've got a couple of fun alternative designs that kind of go with it. Number two, the Lowell Spinners. This one hits me where I live. And it's basically a alligator that has swung so hard he's wrapped himself up in a knot. And number one, and, and this one's uh, fun because... They are nowhere near their parent club. My favorite brand at this level is the Vermont Lake Monsters. They are the short season affiliate for the Oakland Athletics. We're actually going to have them on the show. But their mascot is Champ the Lake Monster, which is sort of a Loch Ness Monster kind of thing. And the logo design is super cool because it's like him half submerged in the water. So those are our favorites for the Class A short season. We'll have their Twitter links in the description of the podcast. So I encourage you to check them out. Check out some of the brands that we really love. If you think you like one better, let us know. But like I said, we've got a fun show ahead of you. Hope you stick around. From the bleachers, the Let's Get To Game of the Week. So we're going into the bleachers at the San Antonio Missions at Nelson Wolf Stadium. And I'm going to have both Jessica and her brother Nathan on. And hopefully we're going to start to figure out the answer to this Oral Hershiser question. So now we are back on uh, Let's Get To with, uh, for the first time together... Brother and sister, Nathan Bybee and Jessica Bybee. How uh, how are we doing tonight, guys? Fantastic. I got to tell you, I just had the most amazing hot dog at, I've ever had at a baseball game. It is the jalapeno dog. <laughs> it is a quarter pound. Oh, my God. Frank. In a bun. His eyes are glazed over, everybody. Layered with nachos and nacho cheese and chili. And it was absolutely incredible. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday happy to me. That's right. Birthday to Nathan. Um, before we get into the baseball part of it, first of all, say hi, Jessica. Hey. Hey, guys. So you guys, um, I, I want to ask the question that we've been dealing with on this show, but we'll, we'll get there. So we're at a missions game. Now, you guys have been coming to missions games for how long? 
I mean, since as far as I can remember, yeah. as, I mean, as small children. Children, long small. before this stadium was here, that's for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember going to games at St. Mary's University. And oh, really? It, that's where they used to play, and it was... And we were the San Antonio Dodgers. The San Antonio Dodgers, and all of the seats were wooden benches. Oh, wow. I mean, super traditional old wooden benches that literally looked like they were put there in, like, the 50s. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they were they were barely hanging on by the time they left to build this stadium. Wow. And, 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 and this the uniforms stadium, were essentially Dodgers uniforms. They were basically so, Dodgers Okay, so uniforms, yeah. the timeline confuses me a little bit because I wasn't from here. So when did they become the missions as far as – were they ever the missions and then they went back to the Dodgers and they went back? Or? I think they were the missions uh, – I'm not sure if they were always the missions for a long time, but they were missions, I think, in the, like, 60s and 50s and, like, okay. but before us. And then when we were born, it, they were already the Dodgers. They were okay. San Antonio Dodgers. And all of their uniforms, all of their uh, merchandise, all of it was is basically looked exactly like the Los Angeles Dodgers, except it said San Antonio okay. instead. So Jess, what are you? Some of the traditions that we have here at the ballpark that we love in San Antonio. We had Shelly on our previous episode, yep. uh, talking about like the puffy taco and stuff. What were some of the things that you kind of remember that carried over from when you were a little girl to now? Well, I would say the puffy taco is certainly probably the most memorable because it's so unique to San Antonio. It's the only place that I know of that does that. And so we have the taco running around the bases and the kids who chase after them. Um, even tonight, though, we saw some fun things that I don't know that I see at other stadiums. Yeah. Um, that I don't necessarily remember from when we were kids, but like when the when they're announcing the team and the players of the team, they all run out to their positions. A, a little leaguer gets to run out with them, and so that's cute. And they get to sing the national anthem out on the field with the with the ball players. So I love that. That's yeah. That's super cool. Um, what have been the, the so the other thing they're famous for here is the balapino. When did he show up? That's newer than That's us. That's pretty new. Is that pretty new That's actually? Okay. New, yeah. But you guys, your, your whole childhood uh, was all baseball related. So I'm going to go through some fact or fiction questions as we've interviewed both of you on the podcast before. Oh boy. <laughs> Tiger Stadium first professional game? Yes or no? Fact. That is fact. That yes. is fact. Okay. 1984. Yes. Against the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad okay. you remember who they played because yeah. I did not remember okay. that. Our seats were out in uh, left field. And uh, wow. my, <laughs> my father will tell you Oh, he would that remember every single detail of the, all of the The games. size of the smile on my face walking up that ramp and seeing the field for the first time was something he never forgot. That's tell, awesome. That's awesome. I, I'm a guy who could appreciate that. You want to tell him my my general tradition? Yeah, when we walk into a Major League Park, Jim will have me cover his eyes as we walk up to where you can actually see the field (laughs) and then unveil his eyes so he can see it all in all its glory. I love that. that. I I went to the Strohs game with uh, Alicia Rivera, and we were walking in. She goes, do I get to be the one to cover your eyes? And I forgot that I had gone with her in Savannah to see Columbus, and I had Savannah do it. Oh. Um, Okay, so so we both, you both had, uh, that's an amazing story. I love that. I also sport. remember when we went to the Cubs, I think it was that same year, although you said we've been to Wrigley Field more than once, but I remember us being like out in the outfield and we were like trying to catch uh, fly balls during batting practice and um, 
like Awesome Dawson was on the team and yeah. uh, Andre Dawson for all of you. I'm not sure he was there at so the see, first game. That might have been a later game. Because okay. honestly, well, partly because I remember it. Let's out, talk about how old I was. Yeah. Yeah. In '84, I was. Six. In '84, you were six, and in '84, <laughs> so Andre Dawson, Awesome Dawson, played first base, but um, the. First baseman for the Cubs in 1984 was, uh, I believe, Leon Durham. Wow. Not Mark Grace? Not Mark Grace. Not it was yet. Leon Durham. Yep. <laughs> Had Jody Davis behind the plate. And my favorite ball player of all time, Ryan Sandberg at second. You guys tried to go to Sky Dome, couldn't get in. Check? Correct. Check. Correct. And that was for a time, right, the only one you hadn't been to or have you... No, I wouldn't. We didn't get to see every single stadium. We did see a lot of them. We saw a lot of them at the time, but it was just that it was it was Skydome's first year. The the new the whole retractable roof thing. It was like a kind of a marvel at the time, and it. Was, and we had never really experienced a situation where we couldn't get tickets. And we had never. Yeah, we'd always like, been able to walk up. It was up just and one of those things that you could walk up and get tickets, and uh, and I think it was because the Skydome's first year I and the marvel so of it all that is why we couldn't. Right. Here. I would like to point out that Sky Dome opened up before the ballpark in Arlington, so it does not make any sense why they did not put a roof over a stadium in Dallas, Texas. It, yeah, I got nothing They had a stadium the most, that didn't have one for years. I guess they assumed it was fine. Assumed, yeah. 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 Um, okay, so real quick before I get to the question everybody wants the answer to. <laughs> well, I've got another dad story. Okay, you need to, okay, okay, dad story? Okay, so I'll chime in with the dad story because... We did all do all of these road trips where we were seeing lots of stadiums, but we were also seeing everything. We were seeing national parks and historical parks, and we always traveled with our ball gloves. And I would say there was never a vacation where we didn't all have our gloves, and we would always play catch. And so I would say we played catch in, in a million different, not obviously a million, but in tons and tons of national parks. But do you remember how we ended every single game of catch? Absolutely. <laughs> every single game of catch was in. With. We brought it in. Yep. The bottom of the ninth. Bottom ninth. Bases are loaded. Bases are loaded. Full count. Full count. Two out. This is it this for is all it. the marbles. Yeah. <laughs> and Dad that. would throw the ball as high into the air as he could, and we had to try to catch a fly ball yeah. to win the game. Yep. To win the game. <laughs> I love that. So, and, and now next, now another Dad question. Then. Okay. Each of y'all gets to pick. But you got to pick different ones. Oh, gosh. And, and I'm going to let Jessica go first because, A, she's my wife and I love her, and, B, your memory seemed a little bit more focused, Nathan. Well, he is three years older He's, than I No, and that's perfectly <laughs> fine. What was your favorite ballpark trip with your dad outside uh, of the ones we already talked about? I mean, we outside of the ones we've already talked about. Okay, so I'd actually – I'm going to have to look to Nathan for where we were, but there was – um. I want to say it might have, oh, I know what it was, San Diego. For me, it was San Diego. Um, do you, what year was it, Nathan? That would have been Jack Murphy, right? Yeah, it was Jack Murphy, and I think it was about 1988, I want to okay. say. So I would have only been about 10 years old, but for me, San Diego was cool because I, <laughs> you're going to laugh and you're going to actually be very upset, but it was because I was really enamored with the chicken. <laughs> And I got the chicken's autograph. I do remember. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, listen. Now let's get to. We're all about some mascot love. We love Orbit. We love Slugger. Slugger the Sea Dog. Okay, Nathan. I've forgotten that, but I do remember that now that you say it. And I, I might still have that somewhere. I think I might still have mine yeah. too. Because obviously, why would I throw that away? No. Um, Thirty years later. I guess for, of all the trips that we haven't talked about, because I, I think. 
nothing will replace 84 Tiger Stadium yeah. being the first and 84 Wrigley Field because it was literally like my favorite team and my favorite players and I knew everything about that team. Um, it, was, been, it was also dad's favorite team. It, it was also dad's favorite team. Might have been though the trip we, the same trip in San Diego, I believe we also, that was the same year we also hit San, San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. Candlestick Park. Candlestick. Yep. And, uh, that one's memorable too. That me. one was memorable because it was a doubleheader, oh. which was like super bonus. We'd yeah. never seen extra a doubleheader, extra, extra baseball. baseball. Exactly. It was also memorable because anybody who's ever been to Candlestick probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. It was frigid, freezing cold, I but. It was also a clear, sunny day, so we literally cooked. We baked. We had we the baked. worst sunburns, yep. but we froze the entire day. I love that. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the, so the other one I was going to ask Nathan for help on was there was one where they were supposed to be, like, especially famous hot dogs, and I want to say it might have been Baltimore. And it was almost like we had a sketchy experience trying to get into the Baltimore Stadium. Well, yeah. It was a little bit dodgy, although that's my second time to use dodgy in a podcast. How about it really that? is, yeah. <laughs> Um, does that sound familiar at all? There was something, something kind of unique about Baltimore, too. I don't I honestly remember the hot dogs per se, but I do remember going to the stadium at Baltimore, and it was before Camden Yards. So it was a very much a basic, boring, cookie-cutter, um, basic stands around a field. Very Actually, that stadium, in my mind, that stadium and the original Ranger Stadium that we went to are almost indistinguishable in terms yeah. of the shape and the just the sort of lack of character. I mean, I guess, you know, one of the other ones that I think is super memorable Fenway. is... Uh, Did um, go to Fenway? Was definitely Fenway yeah. because we saw the Yankees play. Oh. And obviously that's their biggest rivalry. Yeah. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. But I was actually going to say Comiskey Park, the original Comiskey Park, before they tore it down, we did get to see it. And it was um, <laughs> it, it kind of like this stadium in the sense that like it, 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 it by that point it was showing its age. It was not in keeping with a lot of the other major league parks in the area in this in, at the time. Um but it was super charming in its own way, and it was—it it just felt like you were walking back into an old baseball experience. Okay, I just ducked. It was a fly ball, but in the other direction. Okay. <laughs> so the so the question on everybody's mind okay. right now, yeah. Uh, and I don't know that we can confirm this today. Can we confirm that y'all met Oral Hershiser at a missions baseball <laughs> camp whenever Nathan was seven and Jessica was four? This is the big question mark of the night still. Um, we're, we're not confident, but we think we might have some photographic evidence. We might have some autograph evidence somewhere. So I will say that yeah. I do not recall that Earl Hershiser was there. And I feel like because of the fact that the Dodgers were in the World Series, I would say um, 1984, right? Yeah. Um, and he was the you know legend of the team at the time. I did the missions, or it was actually Dodgers camp um, mm-hmm. two years before that, and um, I feel like I would have a memory of like I was I actually met that guy, and I don't have that memory. However, okay. I sort of just dismissed it out of hand in the last podcast. Um, <laughs> I went back and looked, and Oral Hershiser was in San Antonio during the 1982 season, which was about the right time for me to do camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'm going to say it's possible. Is that possible? The mission continues, folks. This reporter will continue to get to the answer to it until your your questions are answered. Thank you guys for joining. Let's get to you. To the first 10,000 fans, the Let's Get To promotion of the week. So as we continue through the season, we're going to always work to highlight different theme nights, different promotions that a lot of our, in particular, minor league baseball teams are having for their seasons. And this week, we're going to chat a little bit about Princess in the Park. And that's usually some variations of Disney princesses, some sort of a daddy-daughter day. They do princess tea parties, kind of anything that falls underneath that umbrella. Now, I understand that right now there's a lot of pushback against Disney and Disney princesses. And, you know, this isn't the time or place to debate the value or detriment of those characters. I personally am a big Disney guy. So anytime we're doing anything Disney, I'm fired up about it. And look, the assumption of this take is that it's a way for dads and daughters to connect. Of course, moms take their kids to games. As I've said on the show before, I learned the game from my mom. I learned to love it from my mother. And of course, obviously, girls are welcome and encouraged at all the other theme nights that we might traditionally say would be for boys. And boys honestly should feel welcome at princess nights if that's what they're into. The whole point of minor league baseball, and baseball in particular, is about well, being welcoming and inclusion. But we're just going to deal with the premise that anything that gets a kid to the ballpark under the guise that something they're into is a great thing because they'll come for Princess Night or Star Wars Night or Superhero Night or Pirate Night or, you know, retro 80s synth band night, which they really should have like New Order or Depeche Mode Night. That's not a conversation for right now. But the point is, is you get them out for something that on the surface they might be into, and then hopefully they discover the game, and then their love of the game starts. So for all the old men out there that complain about Princess Night, what that has to do with baseball, well, they theoretically complain about all those nights. That's not the point. Anything you can do to get somebody out to the game, it's a good thing. Not just for the bottom line of that team in particular, but I think for keeping the game moving forward. But I'll tell you, as a father of a daughter, I can tell you that it's a beautiful and sometimes complicated relationship. And anytime you can find something that can add a memory, add a moment that will both, that you'll both carry forever, it's a beautiful thing. So I applaud minor league baseball and major league baseball as they continue toward including all the population in their events. And that does include Princess Night in whatever form it takes. So here's some of our teams that are going to be having a variation of Princess Night at their parks this year. On May 19th, the Charlotte Knights will be doing Princess in the Park. On June 7th, there's going to be a daddy-daughter princess party for the Cedar Rapids Colonels. The Greensboro Grasshoppers, on July 13th, it'll be the most magical night of the season as the Hoppers invite children to Princess in the Park. June 14th will be Princess and Caped Crusader Night at the Albuquerque Isotopes. The Akron Rubber Ducks will be doing Princess Night on July 21st. The Fort Wayne Tin Caps are doing it on July 29th. And on August 23rd, the Lancaster Jethawks will be having their Princess in the Park. So I hope you go out. Dress up. If your dad and your daughter want you to dress up, dress up. Have a good time. It's what baseball is all about. It's what these theme nights are all about. And just enjoy it. Because for you, it's a three-hour moment that of getting to be in a costume and having a good time with your kid. For your kid, it's going to be one of those moments that they're going to think about you for the rest of their lives. And and if going to minor league baseball games isn't about building memories, then I don't know what it's for. 
And now, the Big League Chew. An eye on the majors. So we are joined on Let's Get To for our very first, and Gary, wait till you hear the name of this new segment that you're our first. Okay. We, we are joined by television producer, big Cardinals and baseball fan, and first guest of the Big League Chew segment. Nice. Gary Warren, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So I want to build up to a big question, but let's go ahead and start with, you know, I'm looking at the standings. I know that we're only, what, two weeks in, a little over two weeks in, but I'm looking at the standings and almost none of the teams that we picked <laughs> to be first are first. So what surprised you so far in this, in this for this baseball season? Uh, well, first of all, Tampa Bay has really surprised me. They're playing great, and I know it's early, um, and I, I really don't think that they're going to stay this strong all year. But they look great, as equal as like the uh, like the Red Sox look horrible. Yeah. So, but that division is like on its head for me. Um, I mean, Houston, we picked all along. Um, you know, go all the way, and you guys have won like what nine straight. It's just you know rattling them off. Yeah, as the time of this recording, nine straight. Yep. Um, you know, and then I, I think uh, the Padres are looking really good. Um, I also don't think that's going to stick. Uh, I think they'll slowly go away, but I really Tampa Bay and then Seattle is stronger than I think anybody would have given them. Uh, you know, the credit earlier in the season. So I, I think those are definitely the surprises for me. How about you? Well, yeah, I I would say every I would say it's all surprising. Although I did actually pick. Tampa Bay in our picks to get a wild card spot. So I'm looking pretty smart. Um, exactly. No, the Red Sox thing is shocking to me. You know, obviously the Yankees are obviously struggling, but you can look at, at, at all the injured players and find out that that's the reason why that's happening. The Red Sox, there is no explanation except for some things I'm afraid we will get. And now I'm wondering if there aren't injuries that they're trying to play through that we'll be hearing about soon. Could be. Plus, you know, they seem to always go worst to first to worst. You know, it's like the Red Sox and the Giants seem to have that going or they would win the World Series and then be horrible. And then soon after they're back at the World Series again. So maybe it's one of their down years. Let me ask you this then. I mean, if you're a Red Sox fan, when is it time to panic? Because I don't think it's yet. But what do you what do you think? I mean, I, I think it, it, you know, you see where they are maybe another month and a half, two months in, um, you know, they're only at, at the time of this, they're like five or six games under 500. So it's not horrible, a nice little winning streak and they're back in it. They have, uh, you know, the Orioles are one of the worst teams in baseball. The Blue Jays are horrible. So I think there's some teams they can beat up on. Um, so I, I wouldn't get worried unless they start falling, you know, 20 games out of the wild card in two months. Yeah. So one of the things too about um, a player that I really like, but did not think he would necessarily like, I, I sort of looked at his year last year as a fluke was Christian Yelich. Oh my gosh. This I don't know. Guy. I apparently don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, oh, like he, all I want to say is for the Cardinals, just walk him. He hit three home runs against the Cardinals in yesterday's game. He's hit like seven home runs against the Cardinals so far this year. Just walk him. Just walk him. Even if you got to walk a run in, just walk him. Well, yeah, and, and two of those home runs were three-run homers. So, yeah, you have a base open. You walk that dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I get, you know, you want to 
you want to face the best. You want to like, you know, strike him out. He's not striking out right now. This dude is strong. Um, but you know, to, the one thing that, that does make me, make me worry a little bit, um, is you look at his play with the Marlins when he was going to be a strong player, but no one would thought he was going to be this MVP type player. And then he becomes best friends with Ryan Braun and look at him now. That's all I'm saying. You're judged by the company you keep. You're judged so, uh, by the I don't company know. you keep. <laughs> you know, um, and, and, but speaking of all, you know, again, of teams that have surprised me, um, the Cubs falling off as precipitously as they have. And and I don't know that there's a like we can look at the talent on the Red Sox and be like, okay, yeah, we can I don't know that the, there's any any coming back for the Cubs. I think this is a years long drought they're about to hit. I think it's actually gonna be more than that because Madden is on the last year of his contract and they did not want to renegotiate with him and you know extend him. So I could see you know, them struggling this year, they fire Madden, how fast you go from like the second coming to fired. Then they'll have to find a new manager. I think by the time they finally get that going, some of these star players like Rizzo um, and Bryant might be gone. I, I could see the Cubs are could be on a downturn for quite a few years. Am I the only one when I hear the word Rizzo, I think of the Jerky Boys? Nope, not at all. I think of it every time. Good. <laughs> Which may be the only time that the Jerky Boys have ever been mentioned in a baseball podcast. Or uh, any podcast in the past, uh, <laughs> I guess since we've been podcasts. Exactly. So no podcast at all. Um, over or under on the number of times ESPN is going to show the Yankees Red Sox games because I'm I'm betting you it's 18 of the 19. Uh, yeah i i would I would agree with that. They just, they just they love it. They fall over it. I get that. I get there's a rivalry there, but you know there are other rivalries. There are better teams. You know, spread the spread the love. Especially since right now you're talking about two six win baseball teams at the end of the day. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, two yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of this was scheduled in advance, but there's also how many other games going on on a Sunday or, you know, Tuesday night or whenever they're airing a game, they could switch. Yeah. So have you, did you want to adjust? Are you, are you feeling like, you know, obviously we can't adjust them, but any of your division picks that you had at the beginning of the season, do you feel like you feel, still, still feel like I still feel good about the Cardinals winning the central. I really, really do. Yeah, I, I feel good about Dodgers, Cardinals. Uh, I mean, Brewers are fantastic. I'd pick them to be a wild card. I think they'll still be a wild card. Uh, Nationals are, you know, 500 team. They could still make, you know, they could still do it. Atlanta, I think, is going to win. I mean, really, it's just uh, that AL East, who knows what's going to happen. And uh, then AL West, I mean, Houston's going to win it, but I, I doubt Angels are going to be a wild card. But they're they're 500. Who knows? Who knows? So yeah. I'm sticking all the way across. And and so I'm, I'm going through these rapid fire because I have a really big topic to hit on you with uh, for this totally baseball show. So real quick before we get to that one, um, Mike Trout or Bryce Harper, you can build you can build a team. Who, who do you want? Mike Trout, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I feel like Mike. I feel like Mike Trout feels like a Hall of Famer now and, and is on yeah. that path. Yeah, and I mean, just imagine if Mike Trout had been on a team with a bigger you know, market value as far as advertising and being on ESPN. If, if Trout had, you know, came up as a Yankee, he would already be like called the greatest center fielder of all time. Yeah. You know, if he played for the Dodgers, this is the fact that, you know, the angels don't get a lot of love regardless. And so I think baseball fans know that he's the best of a generation, but typical man on the street only knows Bryce Harper because he's been all over ESPN. 
Yeah, and I think you know Bryce Harper obviously hits for a lot of power, gets a lot of RBIs, but never really hits for average. And Mike Trout seems to be able to do all of those things. Yeah, and it just—I mean, Bryce Harper just has a cockiness to him that Trout doesn't have. Trout seems like a dude that plays the game for the game, as opposed to Bryce Harper, who gives it gives it off that he plays the game to be a star. Yeah, and nobody wants that. But speaking, yeah. but speaking of star, what did you think of the new Star Wars trailer? Uh, I was uh, I was a little disappointed at the beginning of it. Okay, um, you know I was kind of watching it, and I, I I really didn't care for Ray's flip. You know, I, I'm I, it just something felt off about it, and I was like, huh, man, I don't know. I mean, of course I'm going to see it. I love Star Wars, and then by the time we got to the laugh at the end, I was 100 percent so in and excited, and can't wait. I feel like because uh, I'm a big Disney fan, just broad strokes, and I feel like. Um, Disney was feeling a little knocked down coming into last week, and I think they went with, you know, because they got mocked a little bit about Disney Plus, and then everybody's like, yeah. why is there no Star Wars title? Why is there no trailer? And it was like in subsequent days, they shut the world up by saying Disney Plus is even better than you imagined it would be. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, like when I had when, when I had heard that the leak, that the title of The Rise of Skywalker would be the title, at first I was – like you and I discussed every title, I usually – when I, when I saw it in the graphic, I was completely on board, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean and it's the, – the only thing that I that I dislike about it is – like I wasn't I wasn't the hugest fan of Last Jedi. I think Last Jedi is a good movie. Um, you know, I think he took things in a different way than I wanted, but I was on board for the ride. Sure. And so part of me worries that 9 is now – half of it is going to be correcting what people – disliked about eight you know yeah, which which yeah. i think in the end is going to kind of make eight just feel like a sore thumb as opposed to part of the story well i i certainly i certainly hope that isn't the case for a lot of reasons because i think that but eight's a pretty bold film and i think it i think later on and later on like when as years go by we will appreciate eight more than yeah maybe when it came out and i think the last shot of eight is ultimately epic yeah, yeah, you know, and and the, the one thing that I, I dislike about the new trilogy, uh, you know, is you can tell that they didn't have a full story for the three. It was like each person was going to have their individual story, and it was passing the baton, um, you know, and it feels like we're kind of dealt with someone took it, you know, one way, then another guy took it a different way, and yeah. now JJ's trying to bring it back to the story he wanted to tell originally, which, you know, with the original trilogy – Lucas had mapped it all out and you had different directors to put their stamp on it, different screenwriters and that, but you still had one voice that was like, this is the, you know, A, B and C. Yeah. And I will be honest with you. If that is the case of how that happened, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You should, they should have ran this trilogy like a TV show where there is a story and you hire directors to execute. But yeah, one story you, you had, you had, you had what, 20 years to come up with it. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, Kathleen Kennedy isn't isn't like she's someone that hasn't done anything. I mean, she's been involved in some of the greatest movies of all time. Sure. So, I, you know, I it, it doesn't seem like something that she would do that she would just let Ryan Johnson come in and do whatever he wanted. And no one even looked at his scripts, which is kind of the way that it's being spun now. You know, so it, there's definitely I'm, I'm I would be curious one day someone write a book. Someone, you know, and be like, here's here's what all happened when these yeah. movies are being made. And it'd be like, oh, OK. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it definitely feels like, uh, you know, I, I don't miss Lucas's sand gets everywhere dialogue um, <laughs> and everything must be in front of a green screen. But I do miss uh, his kind of overall. He was the be all end all of Star Wars. And I, I kind of miss that. Yeah, I think to sort of put a put a, a bow on it. I, I don't think that Lucas is a great writer, but he thinks he's a fantastic world builder. And I think that is what this is missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I'm excited. I'm, I, but I'm excited about the rest of the baseball season. What, what, what are you hoping to see? Like, how are we going to be able to tell in this couple of weeks who is and who isn't a contender? What should fans be looking for? I think fans should be really watching the head-to-head games against the good teams. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams, just based on the schedule, they might be beating up on really lackluster teams right now and run up a great record. You know, is the East they were originally thought was going to be the toughest division in the American League? Is it really going to be only one team over 500? Right. You know, I think those are the things to look for. I think uh, for the National League, things seem to kind of be playing out the way that you would expect them to. I think there's going to be a lot of tough matchups. Um, so I think just, you know, buckle the seatbelt and enjoy the ride. It's going to be a great season. Go, go Astros. A focus on H-Town Hardball. So for our first Go Go Astros segment, we have a crazy cool guest in the form of George Martin. Martin has got to be the the biggest Astros fan, not in Houston, not in Texas, not even in the U.S., but he goes by on Twitter, Astros Fans UK, and we're delighted to have George on the show. So we're real excited to be joined by what has to be the Houston Astros' biggest fan across the pond, George from the UK. George, thanks for coming on to Let's Get Two. Hi, James. Thanks very much for the invite. So I got to just start with how long have you been an Astros fan and how did you even find the Astros in the first place? Right. Well, we've got to go back a little bit because um, first time the first time I came across baseball at all, and you have to remember in, in England, it's uh, it's definitely not one of the major sports. It's certainly, uh, I wouldn't even say on the periphery um, as, as it stands. We're going back to 1999 when I was... Um, 14 years old I was um, I just happened to be up late and uh, was, was watching TV and uh, there was a, a channel uh, channel 5 here so a non-cable channel like a, just a, one of your basic channels which uh, had an agreement with um, I think it was with ESPN to show games on Wednesdays and, and Sundays I, I, I was I play a lot of cricket myself um, and was curious to see this, this sport that was on the TV and, and try and learn a little bit about it uh, I didn't have any connection to America of any sort, so um, I thought the best you know, the best way for me to get involved with it is, is, is definitely to pick a team. And um, without that connection, I had to try and um, try and find a reason to, to, to really root for for a side and, and, and get behind them. So um, in, in watching it for the latter part of that '99 season, I, I just happened to see the Astros playing, and um, Mike Hampton was pitching, and I, I, I loved watching him pitch. I loved watching what he was doing during that. Uh, he won 20 games that, that season, and um, it, it sort of gave me a, a little bit of a, a, a trigger to, 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 to follow the Astros and what, what they were doing because of the base of what, of what he was doing while he was pitching. Um, and it was um, it was quite ironic that he then got traded before the start of the next season. So uh, yeah, it's it it quite a, a funny sort of origin story, if you like. And so, you know, um, and that was a really good Astros team to kind of fall in with the, the, the mid nineties, you know, before this current, absolutely, yeah, before this current roster of Astros teams, that probably was the best Astros team. So what were some key moments at the beginning of you kind of following the Astros that kind of got you hooked on the team? 
It's an interesting question because I was, I, was th- I was thinking, I was kind of racking my mind because it's quite a long time ago now, so it's sort of 20 years or, almost. And um, I mean, it, it, it's more it's more really the way that it began and uh, the, the fact that moving from the Astrodome to, to what was originally Enron Field and um, the whole ch- change from uh, even you know even the uniform designs, the, whole, the, the club completely changed in the space of, of, of that one year. And, and, and I just remember the, the, the struggles in that season more than anything else. Uh, I remember uh, the, the late great Jose Lima uh, having real real problems pitching at, um, right. at Emerald Field, and, and and it was uh, it was almost like the, the 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 negative side, which I which I actually remember as, as a as a sort of with a with a, a bit of warmth. And that sounds a bit strange, but just uh, I, I'd made my decision to. to to stick with with the Astros rather than follow Mike Hampton to, to the Mets, where he got traded to, and uh, and um, it was, if, if anything, it was it was just trying to get to grips with this with this team, which I had no history with, and I was sort of learning, you know, day by day, and I continue to do so to this very day uh, in terms of trying to trying to fully acquaint myself with 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 the history of the Astros, you know, going way back into the early days and even you know cold 45 days etc so um it, 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 i couldn't really pinpoint it to, to being sure. a particular moment i mean i was i was looking at i was looking back at the um at that 2000 season i'd forgotten what a beast richie hidalgo was um was i think looking at looking at his stats in that year of 44 home runs and uh moises alu as well with um with, with 30 home runs it was uh it's, it's 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 strange looking back at that now obviously having gone through the end of the Bagwell and Bijou era, getting to that World Series in 2005, then obviously the, um, uh, the the kind of interim period, then and then when it would completely tore it apart, and then and then building beyond. Then it just seems so long ago. Right. It's um it's it, it's great to look back to that, but I wouldn't say there was like one particular moment that 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 sort of brought me on board. It's just more a case of uh, I I'd, I'd made my decision and and uh, and really enjoyed follow, following the club. So uh, that makes you about a lot more loyal than than half the other Astros fans from Houston that I see on Twitter. So good for you. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I don't think I, I, I would I would always say that well, you know just because I'm following from afar it doesn't make me uh, doesn't make me necessarily any 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 better of a fan than anyone else. Uh, I, you know I, I just do do my bit from 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 here and I, and I love the club. Yeah, I just really met the fact that you didn't jump ship in a hundred lost seasons like some of them did. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 you know, it's, unfortunately, tough tough times come, but you know that's that's baseball for you. It's, it's very cyclical, and, and things come things come and go, and um, you know that's that's why we have to make the most of what we've got. The, the phenomenal situation which we've got now, because you, you never know how long these things will last. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't need to put a damper on it, but you know, it's, it's more the other way around. You've got to you've got to save every moment. We've got this this, this team which is. Uh, which is incredible, and you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm excited about not just this year, but the next, you know, the next three, four, five years to see what they've got in store for us. Yeah, it's um, you know, yeah, I think you're exactly right, and you know, for me, who's been following them since I was, you know, really '86 is when I kind of remember going, oh, this is my team. They mm. won a World Series in my lifetime. Whatever else happens is is gravy, honestly. Hey, I agree. I completely yeah. agree. So the logistics then of you having to follow it, because for those of you who don't follow you yet, and I'm hoping that you're, you'll get a big boost, it seems like, oh, I, yeah, I hope so. except for, you know, these Astros after dark games, you know, the ones that start at nine o'clock West Coast time, you're, you're mm-hmm. pretty engaged with most pitches from your Twitter feed. How, how are you watching? Are you, is it MLB? T- like, what, what are you, how are you consuming the games, I guess? Well, yeah, I mean, I've got my subscription with MLB TV, which, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real, you know, it's a godsend for us here in the, in the UK. I, I know that uh, 
I think some people have have their issues with it over in the US, but in terms of over here, we don't get the sort of blackout restrictions, etc. And um, yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. I mean, being able to watch all games, uh, you know, you can always you can switch between games. You can you, you can do all sorts with it. And um, in terms of following the Astros, yeah, it's it, it's perfect. And um, uh, even for kind of the way that I tweet during games, uh, it's quite easy. You know, it's extremely easy to to, to sort of jump in and out of of MLB TV as 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 an app. And, um, and and kind of do what I need to do and get back in and, and not miss any of the action and, and even even the little function like um, when you can sort of jump forward and jump back by 30 seconds is really useful so if it enables me to sort of almost like live tweet stuff while I'm while I'm watching it which is uh, I don't know if that was always my intention but I love doing it and um, I think the people that follow me enjoy that aspect of, of my sort of rather enthusiastic tweeting at <laughs> crazy hours of the morning as well yeah. Um, and have you have you made it to the States at all to see a game live yet? I've been to the States once, not to Houston, unfortunately. So it's, it's in my, uh, it's, uh, my my plan is to, is to finally, finally get out to Houston next year in 2020. Um, I've obviously been trying to plan that with the, with the family. I've got a, a wife and a young son, so we're trying to work out what will work best in terms of getting out to Houston. I, I really can't wait because I, I, I love... I love the club. I love uh, the history of the club. I love um, the, the whole attitude that it has towards the, the fans and the, the kind of family environment. Um, the whole, the whole mood, the whole uh, sort of ethos is, is is brilliant. And I, you know, I really want to be able to sample that in the in the flesh and um, and and get to get to see what I've been watching for so long uh, with my own eyes. So it's uh, it, next year is uh, is really what I'm aiming at. Yeah, you got to let me know when you're coming, brother. I'll get you. I'll I'll buy you a beer at the park. I oh, appreciate it. No, definitely, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be sure to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, being a fan in the UK, and I know that we've got some UK baseball games going. But before we talk a little bit about that, have you found any more Astros fans, and have you all done any meetups, or how's that gone? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad you asked because um, basically, my the way the way that I treat my uh, my my Twitter account, which I'll say now, but I'll, I'll say again later, Astros fans UK. Um, the way that I I treat it is kind of twofold. I, I look at it as maybe threefold. Even one is following the Astros. Two is the search for UK Astros fans, and three is is as a as a, uh, a tool as part of this movement we have here to try and um, build baseball interest across all all thirty major league clubs um, as a fan base here, as a fan community here. Um, in terms of UK Astros, yeah, uh, I, since I I've been on Twitter myself since twenty. 13, I started this account in the summer of 2017 and um, at that point there were only two or three of us I've actually managed to uncover pretty much single-handedly 82 as it stands, 82 <laughs> wow. UK Astros fans, um, which is which is fantastic and, that, and I think cause I, keep a, I do keep a record of them just because um, I'm trying to build I'm trying to you know build the build the, the UK Astros fan base um, you know kind of from the ground up um, and yeah, I think 78 of those are on Twitter, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, it, it, I'm sure I need to branch out to Facebook. I'm not a massive fan of the, the, the sort of user interface there, but I need to branch out to Facebook and see what, who's on there. Cause I'm sure there are, there are more UK Astros fans there. I, I was, I was surprised to be honest. I was surprised. Well, what, like, like you said, the Astros are not, um, you're, you're kind of, they're not the sort of go-to pick if you're going to pick a baseball team in the, in the UK just right. out of nothing so um, it's, 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 it's really uh, uplifting to see that there are other UK Astros here and in terms of a meetup we're trying to arrange a, 
we're trying to arrange a meetup in London around the time of the London series. We've also got our um, sort of baseball communities and all, all the teams' uh, meetups around the time, which I'll, I'll touch upon in, in, in a few moments. But um, in terms of an Astros family, we haven't done one yet, but we're definitely looking to do one around then. It's quite tricky because the numbers are sort of spread across the UK. There's actually quite a large following in, in Scotland. I was only recently made aware of the, um, the historical ties between Houston and uh, and Scotland, which is um, which is great to know about. As uh, yeah, we've got quite quite a strong presence up north of the border. Um, but in terms of getting people to London, uh, I'm going to do my you know my, my level best to get everyone involved. Uh, I keep I keep saying to people whether it's about the Astros or whether it's about baseball in general here, it's not a fad. I'm not doing it just to to kind of the sort of flavour of the day or whatever. I, honestly, I, I look at it as the next ten years, year by year, we see where we are. And, um, and take it step by step. We don't get ahead of ourselves and um, try and build something is long-lasting and it's going to be enduring. Well, and speaking of that London series, um, for those of <clears> – <throat> I mean, yeah, you are getting the two premier brands probably in in, in the MLB in the, yeah, in the with the Yankees and the Sox. What is what is planned for that? Like not just for you guys but just London in, in general. Like are you all stoked for it? Is, are people excited? It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think um, the sort of – Media machine is going to ramp up from MLB's side, uh, from what I know, it, it, across the next month or so, because it has—it's been fairly quiet. I think, um, from from an official point of view, in terms of as a fan base, the fans here, existing fans, and whilst it's not widespread yet in terms of baseball interest, I would say that there is a, a fairly small but very dedicated diehard fan base, and everyone is, you know, absolutely thrilled that, that we're going to be getting our first taste of a. Uh, MLB in the flesh, in, in not just in the UK but in Europe. You have to remember this is this is huge for, for Europe as well. So we're expecting, we're expecting thousands of fans coming, not just from the states, but from um, from all around the UK and all and from from Western Europe as well. Maybe even further afield. I, I, we don't really know uh, how far it's going to be, but it's, it's it's certainly going to be what we're hoping is going to be like a festival of baseball, and um, we, we can't wait for it. We're, we're, we're hugely pumped for it. And I know, like, there's a baseball, an Irish baseball league. Is there any baseball being played in the UK at all? There is. There are, I'm not personally a baseball player myself, but I know that there is. Um, I know that there is. A, that there are baseball leagues here. They're not, um, as, as you'd imagine, they're quite. They're, they're reasonably low key in terms of um, the attention that they they get, and um, and in terms of uh, the, the setup, isn't it's 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 not the most sort of high profile thing but um yeah there, there are there are there are teams here and i think it's, it's the kind of thing which um we're hoping that as a as a kind of knock-on effect from um the the fan movement which we've got going here um which is we've actually got a, a live meter we, we hold these live watch events um to, to show mlb games um and we've had events in london aberdeen birmingham leeds manchester you name it uh, we've got one come up in london this is on easter sunday um, the hashtag to check for it is hashtag MLB Meetups UK. Um, just to check us out and see what we're all about. It's um, it, it, it's a great chance for the fans to get together, and we're hoping that as a knock-on effect from that that kind of thing, eventually, you know, we, we're going to get see more people come to the sport. We want to get um, you know, young youngsters playing playing baseball as as an option out there. It's, it's, whilst the facilities aren't aren't ever going to be. Uh, comparable to that in America, right. you know, there's certainly no reason why it can't um, kind of get, get on the ladder in that sense. And obviously, from a fan point of view, that's that's kind of our our goal because the, the NFL has long since stolen a march on baseball, and, and same goes for the NBA in terms of holding games here and getting that 
based interest. While it's never going to um, knock off football as in, as in soccer uh, or, or, or other sports, and I, I don't see it as being competitive in that in that sense. It's, I, I think there's enough room in the modern sporting fan marketplace aided by social media for baseball to coexist with other sports. And I, you know, I don't see it in competition with sports like cricket either. They're both great sports in their own right. And um, I think, you know, what, what the goal should be is to establish it. And I think um, playing, getting youngsters and getting people playing the sport is, is, is definitely a part of that. Well, it's funny that you bring it, that you say that. And as far as people's bandwidth, because just recently, and I think in the last year, the largest, I think it's the largest cricket facility in the U.S. opened just outside of Houston. And I've driven by it. It's massive. Wow. So I think you're right. That's interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a big, a big bandwidth for all kinds of sports. But let's get, um, let's get heavy into the greatest baseball team that's ever played. So we are, um, we're, we're going into, Really, I think the third season in a row where you could argue that they're the best team in baseball. Um, where do you see? What do you see? The, what do you see the ceiling? The see, What do you see as a ceiling for this 2018 club? What do you think its strengths and what do you think its weaknesses are? Uh, I, I think honestly, I, for the 2019 Astros, I, I think it's. Uh, I'm getting the feeling back from from 2017 last year. As great as it was, obviously winning 103 games is um, is nothing to be sniffed at. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I never really had that feeling that we were in total control. I always felt we were, whether it was due to the, the pressure of injuries or um, or just inconsistency with our offense, I, I never felt that we were the sort of smoothly oiled machine that we were in 2017. And I, I didn't get that feeling that we had that never say die attitude. And um, obviously it's very early days yet, but looking at the last week and a half, I mean, the, the, the nine straight wins we just reeled off. This against good teams, against the A's, the Yankees, and the Mariners, a Mariners team that was what thirteen and two. I mean, we just went there and and, and you know to turn them over. It's it's, it's it, don't get me wrong, the, the, the games were tight, but we were again we were able to to show our strengths and be in control in terms of the ceiling for this team. I think we 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 should be looking to win it all again, and I don't mean that you know I don't want to sound arrogant, but the team we've got, like you said, is capable of being the best in baseball. It's as simple as that. You look at. You look at our offense. Adding Michael Brantley, perfect addition. I mean, how how good is this guy? I mean, I had I'd spoken to Indian fans before who were, who were raving about him, and and see, you know, after just a few weeks of seeing him, I, I have to agree, the guy looks like the absolute um, perfect uh, addition for our offense that we were missing last year to try and to try and connect the top half of the order to to the to, to the sort of middle part, and then, and then. I know, I know that he had a slightly tricky start, but Elizabeth Diaz getting those uh, yeah. the, the big hits he's got in the last few games is, is big as well because um, it's all about connect, it's all about connecting the offense, getting those getting those uh, those two out hits when when the bottom of the orders come out, get Springer back at the plate and, and uh, let's, let's turn the order over. I mean uh, that's that's what we're looking at. And I think from from an, from an offense point of view, as long as we're healthy, looking at Altuve, looking at Correa. I mean, how good is Carlos Correa again? Looking at looking at yeah. him, he's like a different different man. I mean, how how good is it to see to see him there? I mean, uh, Jose Altuve, I think is is um, I mean, for for many years, Jeff Bagwell would have been my favorite player. And I still love love the whole Bagwell Biggio era. Um, you know, that they will always be Astros legends. But for me, Jose Altuve is something else. Honestly, this guy, I think, if he stays healthy, when he when all is said and done with his career, you're going to be looking at. Indisputably, the best Astro to ever put on that uniform. I think um, this guy is is an inspiration. His story is phenomenal, uh, and it needs to be told again and again. You know, you follow your dreams. Doesn't matter how how 
how small you are or how tall you are, whatever, um, you work hard, you do what you can and you can achieve it. And, and this guy is the leader of this ball club and um, I, I love what we have. I mean, and that's, that's, that's talking about the offense. You're talking about the pitching. Right. I mean, McHugh's, McHugh's fit back into the rotation seamlessly. Um, obviously, you've got Verlander and Cole spearheading uh, the, the rotation. I, I think with Wade Miley, Jury's uh, still a little bit out at, the, sure. uh, at this stage of the season, but we'll see. And then you get, and then you get to the, the to the bullpen. And you're looking at, I mean, how how good is Ryan Presley? This guy is 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 extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, um, was that 28 consecutive outings without um, an earned run? Without an earned run, it's, it's yeah. Mad. I mean, yeah, and you then, then you got got to close the show. It's, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm I'm thrilled. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with uh, I agree with you about last year too because you know I was sort of um, I started this Facebook group. I'll send you the link to it uh, if you want to join it. It's Astros mm-hmm. Positivity, and it's just all about because it was so many people being negative. Because but you know, are against people being negative. But in 2018, it did feel like. It felt like way more of a fight, and I agree that this year feels like it was a like, battle, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a yeah. battle. It was a real slog. On paper, you might even say it was a better team than seventeen, but everything it, we yeah. just got baseball. Somebody, and it, but this time it feels like. Well, I remember we were on Twitter, and someone someone had commented to one of your threads about how like, well, Springer hasn't done anything, and I was like, well, it's not the eighth inning yet, and then eighth inning it puts yeah. one right into right field. So, yeah, I agree, and I think as far as Wade Miley, I agree the the. The, the the jury's still out, but if you look at the way his contract structured, he's actually got um, qualifiers like bonuses for bullpen time. I bet you he is really expected to be the starter until about June, when Whitley or or Bukakis comes up. You reckon? No, I, I, I was, I mean, I, I was I was thinking about a little earlier actually, just um, ahead of this. I mean, the pitching depth we've got in the in the farm is is. is Absurd. I mean, with you know, obviously Forrest Whitley sort of waiting in the wings, Bukowskis. I mean, uh, even even uh, Abreu had, a, if I'm not mistaken, had a, had, a, had a great spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we, we've we've got options coming out our ears. It, it, it really is a testament to the the whole vision that that Jeff Luno has has, has put together, and, and he kind of. It's almost cliche to talk about it now. The whole, you know, the whole Astro Ball vision and 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 how it's come together. But it needs to be said. It's incredible, and I have absolute faith in pretty much everything that that Jeff Luna wants wants for this club. I think if he decides that I'm backing it up because the proof is in the pudding, and and, and everything he does so far, it's pretty much turned to gold. So absolutely. Um, I, I, I think that's that's the, the kind of be all end of it, really. But in terms of Wade Miley, yeah, I. I that that would be an interesting, uh, an interesting sort of way to for it to play out. I think we're, we're used to seeing um, the club being quite creative with the uh, with the bullpen and the use of uh, of its pitches in general. I mean, uh, just sorry to go off on a slight tangent again, but again, Brent Strom. I mean, this, yeah, you cannot sing the praises of this guy enough. He's he's an actual miracle worker, and um, I, I think we're, we're truly blessed to have the combination of. Uh, the people on our staff that we've had, even with with numerous exits in the off season, and, and that we still have uh, right now, I think we 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 are extraordinarily lucky as a as a fan base uh, and as a club right now. Absolutely. Well, George, this has been great. Will you uh, you want to come back on later on in the season? Absolutely. You you, you give me the call and I'm there. Um, if if I can just say to to anyone who's listening, please do give me a follow um, on Twitter. It's sure. at Astros Fans UK. 
Um, I love interacting with with anyone who who, who uh, gets in touch with me. Even if I'm not following you, doesn't mean I won't respond to you. So you know, it's it's, it's absolutely it's an open door, and I, I love interacting with all Astros fans. Be they here? I mean, there's an Astros, but there are two Astros Brazil accounts. There's an Astros France account. Um, I, I love it, and you know, it's, it's onwards and upwards. I think that. Fingers crossed this is going to be another truly memorable year for us. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, kind of hanging out with you online through the season. And we'll can't wait to have you back on the show. On deck, the Let's Get To Interview of the Week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And in advance of my trip out to Fort Myers to check out the Miracle, we're excited to welcome Marshall Kellner. Marshall is in his second season with the Fort Myers Miracle. Prior to coming to Fort Myers, Marshall served as a broadcaster for the Lancaster Jethawks in the California League. He's a Minnesota native and a lifelong Twins, Vikings, and Timberwolves fan. After graduating from University of Southern California in 2011 with a degree in communication and emphasis in sports media studies, Marshall began his broadcasting career with the independent Chico Outlaws. In addition to Chico and Lancaster, he has spent time with the Battle Creek Bombers, the Harrisburg Senators, and the Dundon Blue Jays. Marshall, thanks so much for joining Let's Get Two. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So can you share with the audience exactly what you do for the Fort Myers Miracle? Because as we've learned in this journey, everybody in minor league baseball has to kind of do a little bit of everything. Right, right. Uh, so uh, the job title would be Broadcast and Media Relations Manager. Um, basically, uh, I, I do the play-by-play broadcasts of uh, all 140 uh, regular season games and then any postseason games. Uh, we were lucky enough to to win the championship last year um, in my first season with the team. So that was uh, a great experience last year um, with that team, which uh, I'm sure we may, may get to more into that uh, as we move on here. But uh, yeah, aside from aside from the broadcasting uh, in Major League Baseball, of course, the broadcasters just do that. And then uh, kind of like you were alluding to, we wear a lot of different hats in the minor leagues. So um, I handle also uh, all the media relations. Uh, with, uh, I have an assistant uh, that is here during the season as well um, that helps me out with that. But uh, everything from stat packs to uh, lineups um, to organizing, uh, coordinate, coordinate coordinating interviews, excuse me, um, any other media relations duties that uh, that come up. So uh, any any inquiries um, as to as to player interviews or uh, you know uh, coverage coverage of individual games or season long coverage. Um, if we if we're going to be featured on the news, um, sometimes uh, we're lucky enough to have local news stations uh, here in the area that uh, feature us, especially a lot uh, as the season. Uh, is is coming up here, so uh, just coordinating that as well, and then uh, and then um, a lot during the off season is uh, is sales. So uh, that's that's really year round. But uh, I think anybody in minor league baseball, no matter what their what their uh, position is, has some type of sales responsibility, especially if they're a, if they're a full time employee. Um, so um, selling everything from you know uh, groups to individual games, uh, promoting theme nights, uh, sponsorships, um, any and any and all. So uh, yeah, that's that's basically it in a nutshell. But uh, the sales portion is very important for anybody uh, anybody working in minor league baseball. Absolutely. And so a big part of your role is the broadcaster. How did you get started in broadcasting in the first place? 
Yeah, well, I'm I, I grew up in uh, in Minnetonka, Minnesota, which is about 20 minutes uh, from Minneapolis. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, so born and raised a Twins fan, so very lucky to be. Uh, oh, I also do the the PA announcing for Twins spring training, uh, so that's another part of my job that I that I really enjoy. Uh, so lucky enough to be with my my hometown team here uh, with the Twins spring training, and then also the uh, High A affiliate of the Twins. Um, for me, I, I got interested. Uh, everybody knows at some point that they're not going to uh, to play, or that their playing career is going to end. Uh, for me, that that may have happened earlier than than most. Um, so got a head start and uh, just uh, did did not have cable TV until probably uh, I was a sophomore junior in high school. So just grew up listening to uh, to John Gordon mainly and and Herb Carneal call the Minnesota Twins games um, on the radio, and uh, that kind of got me. Um, interested in that, and I thought, you know, the next best thing to being a player was uh, calling the games and getting to travel with the team and uh, just re- really being a part of the team that way. So um, when I when I went to uh, actually the, the first time I really did it was uh, we had a three week uh, three week thing at the end of our senior year uh, in high school senior program where we could kind of design uh, any sort of academic uh, program and. Uh, Mine, I was an usher for the Twins at the time, uh, which I did from when I was 16 through the end of college, and uh, they gave me a booth to broadcast or to do a to do a mock broadcast of a game into a tape recorder, literally um, in the outfield of the Metrodome. So it wasn't the best angle, but uh, that was the first time I probably ever did it. And then uh, from there, I went to uh, USC out in LA and. Uh, did a ton of games on the student station and that that's really where i think i honed my skills and uh kind of grew up as a broadcaster a little bit um you know found uh found my style and stuff like that so uh from there uh, i've been with uh, several different teams uh 2011 coming out of college um worked for the uh for the chico outlaws which was an independent team uh which actually went uh, defunct after that. Um, that league no longer exists. And then uh, 2012, I was with a summer collegiate team in the Northwoods League called the Battle Creek Bombers in Michigan. Uh, 2013 was uh, the number two broadcaster in Harrisburg uh, for the Harrisburg Senators, which is the AA affiliate of the Nationals. Uh, had some guys like Anthony Rendon, Stephen Souza Jr., Sandy Leone, uh, Blake Trinan on that team, uh, just to name a few. It was a really talented team. Um, 20, 2014, I was actually uh, out of out of uh, minor league baseball, but I was coaching baseball back home in uh, in Minnesota uh, for my high school. And then uh, 2015 was with the Dunedin Blue Jays, 16 and 17 uh, out in California, Lancaster, California. And then uh, these uh, last year was my first year here, and then uh, entering my second year. So you can see it's uh, kind of a whirlwind. But uh, yeah, it sounds like it. So at USC, did you get a degree in broadcasting? No, my my degree originally was in broadcast journalism. I found out that kind of um, was a little too uh, specific and not exactly tailored to what I wanted. It was more geared towards people that wanted to be like TV reporters. Um, so I switched my major to communication, which was related in the same uh, school um, at USC, the Annenberg School for Communication and and, uh, and Journalism. But uh, no, my my degree was in communication, had an emphasis in sports media studies, but I always tell people the, the major, you know, I didn't take any play-by-play class or broadcasting class. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about the sports business um, in college, but it was mainly um, mainly my extracurricular stuff on the student radio station that got me the reps uh, that I needed to to 
to uh, attain in order to go into play-by-play -play professionally. So that uh, I always tell people when they ask for advice and stuff, uh, getting reps is most important, and those college radio stations um, are a great way to do it. Yeah, it's interesting because in my profession, USC is famous for a whole other department. I, I took uh, I took some some classes actually in the uh, in the cinema school, um, the, the film school there, uh, which was which was a great experience. I took a uh, the film symposium is actually one of the more popular classes at USC, taught by Leonard Malton. Um, so I took every Thursday uh, for for one semester, Thursday night. It's like a four hour class. You see a movie before it's released. Um, you get a short lecture from him, and then second part of the class is you actually get to hear from people who worked on the film. So it might be, you know, a producer, uh, one of the actors on the film, uh, one of the writers, you know, what what have you, and they come in and talk about their experience working on it. So that was one I took. Took a sports film class. Uh, you got to take advantage of that when you're at USC for sure. Oh, that yeah, that sounds really cool. I actually had an interview with a guy on our podcast. He's a head coach of a baseball team in California. And we met because he heard about a baseball movie class I was teaching on Twitter and the whole thing happened. But, you know, so there's a quote, famous quote that says, baseball is the only sport you can see on the radio. Yeah. And me personally listening to baseball growing up on the radio was a really big part of my childhood and a big part of how I experienced the game today. You know, as I've talked about before, Milo Hamilton was my guy for the Astros. For you growing up, who were some of the broadcasters that influenced you? Um, well, yeah, first it was the local folks. I mean, definitely John Gordon of the Minnesota Twins. Um, Paul Allen of the Minnesota Vikings, I think, is one of the best broadcasters of any of any sport, uh, period, local, national. Just his energy, um, a, lot of, a lot of people uh, familiar with him. And actually, I got to intern. For, he, he does a radio show every uh, from 9 to noon um, on, on the most popular station in Minnesota. And... Uh, got to intern for the show right before him after my freshman year of college. And, um, he kind of became a, a mentor of mine, uh, you know, was nice enough to take a listen to my work, which was probably really bad at that time because it was from my freshman year of college, my first uh, real stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was very gracious with his time and, uh, and still is. Um, so, you know, those two, I, w I would say locally, nationally, I've always been a big Kevin Harlan fan. Um, going to school at USC, uh, Vin Scully, you know, got to listen to him uh, kind of in the, in the twilight of his career when it was, uh, it was definitely a treat to be able to listen to a guy of his caliber, uh, really probably the greatest to do it uh, on the baseball side um, or period. Um, it, so, so that um, I'm trying to trying to think of some others. I think Tom Hamilton with the Cleveland Indians. If you're if you're talking baseball, um, but yeah, I, I, I have a lot of people. Jerry Howarth, who recently retired from uh, from the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, when I worked for the Dunedin Blue Jays um, back in 2015 and worked there spring training uh, with Toronto spring training, got a chance to meet him, and he's given me tremendous advice um, over the years. Probably the best uh, critiques I've gotten of my baseball work. Uh, come from him so and then uh, Corey Provost currently with the Minnesota Twins um, Chris Atterbury who does the pre and post uh, for them uh, have been have been great mentors as well so um, you, you know you find as you go through it uh, people are really willing to give back it's very competitive obviously um, you know much like much like the, the film industry is uh, but uh, but people are willing to, to give you advice and and give back and give you feedback on your work um, it's it's a pretty tight-knit field in that in that way as well yeah it's something you see in our industry too where 
the only way to get better is to get honest feedback, honest constructive criticism. And I think sometimes the first step in getting better is being able to take that criticism. No question. Um, and I think uh, Jerry Howarth gave me like such such honest criticism. Um, and, and you want that. You don't – sure, it feels good if somebody listens to your stuff and says, oh, that's the greatest thing ever. But – that's not how you're going to get better. Um, it might be a nice pat on the back for a little bit, but ultimately you're trying to get better um, in anything you do. But uh, you know, specifically to play by play, you want to hear uh, from from the best uh, that do it about uh, what what they what they think. And uh, and re- really, it's good to get a variety of different perspectives because it's so subjective. Um, some per- some people you know may really like my style. Some people may not. Um, so it's uh, it's about getting different different perspectives on your work and then incorporating um, incorporating you know what you want to incorporate from that criticism. I got to think part of your job is really filling time when maybe the game is maybe losing some momentum, maybe it's a blowout, and you're trying to find other things to keep people entertained. So how do you fill that time? Do you plan a bunch of stuff, or does it just sort of come off the cuff? Yeah, uh, that's that's a good question. I think there's and there's going to be. For us, you know, 140 games of the minor leagues, 162 for them, you know, in the, in the case of the Astros and the big leagues, there's going to be a lot of games, uh, really positively and negatively, that are out of hand, you know, in the in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, uh, what have you, and you've got to find a way to uh, keep the listener engaged. Um, and I think that's about just preparation. I mean, um, you're not going to use. 80% of the stuff you prepare, but you don't, you know, I forget who said this to me, but you don't know which 20% you're going to use. You know, um, if it's, if it's a close game, you're kind of more honed into the game itself. If it's not, uh, you might, uh, tell an interesting story, uh, that, that, you know, you, you learned about from one of the players go into more detail on a certain player's background, um, stuff like that, or talk about just general stuff in the game, something I like to do uh, as well, you know, talk about uh, what's going on, what people are talking about, uh, just in general with baseball. Maybe it's maybe it's the new rule changes, maybe it's uh, pace of play, um, you know, something controversial that comes up. Uh, you don't try to get too debate-heavy uh, in, a, in a baseball broadcast, but just... Uh, a variety. You have to be prepared for a variety of different scenarios, um, and uh, and I think the more you can prepare, uh, the better you'll be able to handle a situation like a ten-one game in the fifth inning. Yeah, it's got to be really, really. It's got to be a really tough job. But you know, I've already listened to a couple of your calls, and um, you're doing a great job with the miracle. And you guys are the high A affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. And I haven't made it to Target Field yet, but it's high on my list. But I do remember last March watching the Astros play their two coldest games in team history uh, when they were playing in Minnesota. Yes. They look like turtles with all their cold weather gear. But I was actually listening to Colin McHugh's podcast, the 12-6 podcast, and he had Jason Castro on. Had me thinking about that game, and it just frozen. But anyway, I digress. So the high A affiliate of the Twins, and you guys won the Florida State League this year. Yeah. You know, and I know that the main focus of the Minnesota Twins is to develop players. And I've heard all different varying stories about whether the parent club cares about minor league championships or not. You know, how did the Twins care? Were they motivated to win it as well? Or was it just like our focus is player to development, whatever happens on the farm system doesn't really matter? Uh, no, no question. Uh, they're they're supportive of it, and uh, it, that's that's an interesting question because there's always that tension between um, 
winning versus player development. And and there's no doubt that player development is the number one goal in the minor leagues, like you, like you mentioned. Um, but uh, but depending on the philosophy of a certain team, uh, winning can be a big part of that. And and for us, it was. I mean, I, I think you talked to uh, Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, the head baseball guys for the Twins. Um, you talked to Jeremy Zoll, uh, the the minor league uh, minor league director. They are they they believe winning is is important. You know, just developing that that winning mindset, um, and and it kind of becomes contagious. And especially like in a long minor league baseball season, um, we had to we had to actually qualify for the postseason on the final day of the, of the season. We needed to win, and then we needed the the worst team in the league to, to upset. Uh, uh, Charlotte, which is Tampa Bay's affiliate, uh, that uh, that we were battling for, and l- luckily that happened, and there was a, a crazy celebration on the on the final day of the season, and then uh, ended up winning the championship, and another celebration, and uh, stuff like that. You know, it it becomes contagious. So I think, um, and also a lot depends on the manager you have. We had a manager uh, by the name of Ramon Borrego, who's been in the organization for over 20 years. It was his first year with us. He's moving up to to Double A Pensacola uh, this year in the Twins organization, but he was extremely competitive. I've never been around a more competitive manager in minor league baseball. Um, and he certainly knew how important player development was, but there's no question he wanted to win and he wanted to win badly. So, uh, I think especially, you know, once you get to the month of August, that, that last month, uh, pretty much in the, in the minor league season, uh, you, you started to see, uh, not, not a shift in, focus away from player development but really that winning come to the right to the forefront as well um in terms of importance and players did did want to do it and a lot depends too on the type of group you have um and we had a group that really did want to to win it and especially once we got in their mindset was you know once uh, we're, we're in now and uh and let's let's win the thing um and i think uh I think that's the mindset. Any any team once they get into the playoffs, you know, you you don't want to get into the playoffs and come up short. Um, uh, extra extra days on your season, then you, they've been already playing for a long time. Um, they want to bring the bring the thing home, and uh, luckily we were able to do that. So I think uh, it, it can go hand in hand, and luckily uh, for us, it did. And so a lot of people aren't aware that the radio team and the TV team, you know, for the local affiliates, you're actually employed by the parent club. So you guys are employees of the Miracle. Yeah. So you therefore you're not really required to maintain any neutrality. So I mean, as this is unfolding, were you just as fired up about winning a championship as anyone? No question. Um, I, I had uh, that. That was my first ring uh, that I got. Uh, actually, uh, you know, recently just got uh, the, the rings just arrived here, uh, which which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I think I I had been with two teams that had been in the championship before and had been zero uh, and six in those games. Uh, so l- luckily, that uh, bad luck didn't continue. Um, but uh, yeah, you you definitely uh, want to win, and uh, you know. As as cool as it is for you personally, you're with this group of players. You know, I, I traveled to all the games with them. Um, you're you're with the group of players all season, so you really want it uh, for them um, as well, and our coaches. And um, we really it was probably the best group I'd ever. I've been really lucky to be with a lot of good groups, a lot of good uh, coaches and managers. But uh, you know, last year was right at the top of the list, and uh, I really wanted it for you know. You see 
our manager Ramon Borrego, and you you want it for him. You want it for these players um, that you're with each and every day. Uh, you see much more of them than your family uh, during the season, and uh, it it was cool to see them all, um, you know, achieve that achieve that goal that they that they had and uh, get to celebrate. So when you're getting ready to, to call a championship game, and you know the game is unfolding, and you know that there's a really good chance you're going to get to call the final out of or the final run that's going to win someone a championship. I mean, do you start preparing for it? When do you start preparing for it? Do you start to make want to make sure that you have a call that really does that play or that moment justice? It, it, you know, I think uh, in a situation as big as that, you kind of you prepare for it a little bit, but a lot depends on the context of the game. You know, is it are, are you winning on a walk off homer? Uh, we happen to be on the road. You know, how, is it a blowout? Is it not? Uh, we actually we ended up winning on a double play. Um, so, uh, and it was a fairly fairly close game. Um, you know, four runs I think was the margin at that time. So. It, it wasn't a, a total blowout either, so I think you have to be sensitive to that. But I think you go through. Not, not, I don't like to script calls because that that just uh, you know doesn't feel as as natural. But uh, I think uh, you go through some stuff in your head about you know how you how you're going to call uh, a moment like that because it's a it's a big moment. It's a big moment uh, uh, for for the team, and you want to be able to nail that call. So. Uh, luckily, I think it turned out okay. So now let's shift to kind of the other part of your job, which is getting the word of the miracle out and getting people in the park. And I know a lot of minor league teams do that with like promotions and giveaways and stuff like that. What were some of the favorite ones you've had in the past, and what are some of the things we can look forward to this year? Ooh, we, we have a we have a jam packed uh, promotional schedule uh, this this season. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, that that is one of the best parts of of minor league baseball, no doubt. Um, we're we're doing a lot of bobbleheads um, this this year, uh, including uh, Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov, who are the top two prospects in the Twins organization, um, and and played a big role in our championship team uh, arriving for the second half last year. Uh, Lewis was the number one pick a, a couple of years ago, um, so it's cool to have them. We have Star Wars night, Harry Potter night. Uh, we have a bunch of appearances uh, this year, um, including San, uh, Smalls from the Sandlot. Um, uh, Roger Dorn from Major League, uh, Stanley from The Office, Shooter McGavin uh, from Happy Gilmore, which is uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, that being uh, maybe may my favorite movie. So um, stuff like that, uh, that can just uh, draw people out to the ballpark. And, uh, you know, other things as well, uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirt, duffel bag. Um, we, we're going to have a, a couple of concerts uh, here. So uh, yeah, uh, some, something something really for everybody in that, uh, like you said, that's uh, one of the best parts about minor league baseball, and it's really what draws people to the park. Um, we certainly have our baseball diehards, but uh, but in minor league baseball, it's much more about uh, the promotions. Um, we have fireworks every Friday, giveaways every Saturday, um, the other stuff that draws people to the park uh, to really have, as we say, affordable family fun. And I'm assuming that you realize that Corbin Burtson is also representing his role in Major League Three, back to the minors, which featured the Fort Myers miracle. There you go. <laughs> That's probably the only time that movie would ever get mentioned on a baseball podcast ever. <laughs> I'm going to my very first Fort Myers miracle game on the 26th. So next week, what do you and what do the Miracle Hope, uh, you know, do I... What do you and what do the Fort Myers Miracle hope I get out of my experience? Uh, well, I think 
just just like what I said before, I think affordable family fun is is the big thing and uh having fun. I think uh sure you you know you're you're more into baseball probably than than the average uh than the average fan who comes here. So, you know, maybe in your case, getting to see, uh, you know, if we start the season with uh, with a guy like uh, Royce Lewis, uh, not you, you don't get a lot of chances to see a former number one overall pick uh, in the draft and the top Twins prospect. Um, you know, we we may start the season with a guy like uh, Bruce Stargratter, all a, a right-handed pitcher who's um, in the top five prospects with the Twins, who throws 101 miles per hour uh, often on the first pitch of the game. Um, so, from a baseball perspective, just getting to see uh, some of the some of the top prospects in the game, and depending on who we're playing, maybe from the from the other team uh, as well. But uh, but then just uh, just all the fun stuff that happens in minor league baseball. We do a fun. Uh, uh, in-game promotion uh, called the the uh, eyeball bump, where you're in kind of a inflatable uh, inflatable see-through uh, eyeball <laughs> for all intents and purposes, and two two people are uh, running into each other and uh, try to knock the other one down. So um, you know that might be what you remember from the night, or uh, you know seeing the kids uh, run around on the berm, seeing fireworks if it's a Friday or whatever giveaway we, uh, you know we have. Uh, going on on a Saturday, uh, there's a lot of takeaways that uh, you can walk out of the ballpark saying, uh, "Hey, that was a that was a great time." But uh, yeah, that's ultimately it. Uh, having a great time and uh, a memorable experience. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it, Marshall. Thanks so much for joining. Let's get to, and I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And now on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So thank you again for joining. Let's get to. And thank you again to all of you who have listened to 10 episodes, 9 episodes, or if this is your first episode. We hope that you're finding that we're a little bit different, what we're trying to do and how we're trying to approach the game. And uh, hopefully you'll think that's a little bit refreshing and fun and want to hang out. And if you have any suggestions at all, by all means, let us know. Like I said, we are having a blast and we hope you are too. So next week on the show, we're going to welcome the general manager of the Sugarland Skeeters. And we'll have reports from my trip to Gwinnett. Chattanooga and my last trip to Globe Life Park in Arlington to see the Arlington Rangers. Next week when I drop this episode, I'll actually be dropping it from the parking lot of the Tampa Tarpons because next week I'll get to see the Tampa Tarpons and the Fort Myers Miracle. Lots of baseball. And as always, until next time, let's get to. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back cause it's rude.